Hello, and welcome to Knockler Radio. I'm your host, Helen Hazelwood Isaac. It's been a while since I updated the podcast, but we're going to have two new episodes coming out in the next week or so to make up for it. Today, I have a brief update on a story that appeared in the fall issue of the Knockler Report, which was all about free trade. If you listened to the interviews that came out with that last issue, you might remember my conversation with Manuel Perez Rocha of the Institute for Policy Studies in Washington, D.C., who works to promote human rights and sustainability practices in international trade. If you haven't heard that episode yet, I encourage you to go to the multimedia tab at nakla.org and check it out. Just to quickly recap, Manuel and I discussed a particular stipulation that appears in a lot of free trade agreements these days, like NAFTA and the much-debated Trans-Pacific Partnership. They're called Investor Dispute Settlement Clauses. Under these clauses, companies doing business in other countries have the right to sue foreign governments if they believe those governments are disrupting their ability to make a profit. Investor dispute claims aren't tried in any one country's court system. Instead, they go to the International Center for the Settlement of Investor Disputes, the ICSID, or ICSID, which is a division of the World Bank. Closed tribunals of international investment lawyers decide the cases, which Manuel explained to me are disproportionately filed against countries with big extractive industries, countries with a lot of oil, natural gas, gold, and other resources that are extracted from the land. Manuel also explained that most cases are brought by companies based in the United States, Canada, and countries in the European Union. When Manuel and I spoke last fall, there was a really big case being tried at ICSID, the Canadian gold mining company Pacific Rim's case against El Salvador. The case had been in arbitration at ICSID since 2009, when the El Salvadoran government denied Pacific Rim a license to move forward with a gold mining project called El Dorado. Pacific Rim claimed that El Salvador had unfairly denied it a mining license, causing a big loss in profits, but the El Salvadoran government said Pacific Rim had failed to comply with basic requirements for mining. They didn't have the necessary land rights or the proper environmental protections in place. Pacific Rim filed a claim with ICSID for $250 million U.S. dollars. El Salvador is a tiny country. $250 million is almost 1% of its GDP, its gross domestic product, which is about $25 billion. That may sound like a lot, but to give some perspective, Canada's GDP is $1.8 trillion. Its economy is over 75 times bigger than El Salvador's. Needless to say, El Salvador had a lot at stake in the Pacific Rim case. The government spent $13 million on legal defense, and in October, just a couple weeks after Manuel and I first spoke, the World Bank finally released its decision after almost seven years. The case against El Salvador had been dismissed, and Oceana Gold, the company that acquired Pacific Rim in 2013, was ordered to pay El Salvador $8 million to cover legal fees. Manuel and I caught up to discuss the decision and how it affects the future of free trade agreements. Yeah, we cel- we celebrated this El Salvador's uh, victory at the exit. Yes, so we had uh, like 30, 40 people. And at the beginning, it was like, when we were getting there, it was like, gosh, we, we wish that we had had the celebration before the elections. Yeah. But, but <laughs> we forgot about the elections, and it was really a nice celebration. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, it's, 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 nice to be able to talk about something that at least has gone right in the past, yeah. you know, in the past while. Um, so, yeah, uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about 
I mean, what, what I know is very limited. I just know that it was decided in favor of El Salvador. They won't have to pay uh, Pacific Rim or Oceana. Uh, and I, I assume they're having their legal fees covered now, too. Well, some of their legal fees, $8 million. However, the legal fees and um, the fees for the tribunal uh, reached $13 million. Oh my so there are like $5 million that are not being... Um, reimbursed and in fact those eight million dollars haven't been reimbursed yet we are um, working with a lawyer's firm and the government of salvador to push oceana gold to reimburse the eight million dollars that it owes to el salvador and oceana gold has responded that they haven't evaluated the situation so so do you think that they're considering some sort of appeal there is no appeal mechanism in the exit tribunals. They could ask for a, it's called a cancellation or um, a total withdrawal of the decision. Let me get to the precise technical term. Hmm. But, um, after, but the, the, after the result has been decided, they can withdraw their... They, they can also annul. And just annul the entire thing? To annul, exactly. They can oh. ask the tribunal to annul the, annul the entire thing, but we don't think they're going to do it because it would be very difficult that the tribunal gets to uh, decides in favor of annulling the decision. The decision was anonymous. The three judges decided that the decision should be in favor of El Salvador. The three tri tribunal members decided that the decision should be in favor of El Salvador. So it was a resounding victory for El Salvador. Is there, any kind, of, is there yeah. any kind of message that's released from these deciding agents? I mean, is there any sort of like actual written decision that comes out about the, the intricacies or the nuances of their decision? Or is it just you win no, or you win? They just released the, the award that I have it in my hands that it's a uh, more than 200 pages award. And oh, wow. it's, it's at the very last that the decision is, that the final decision is, is made, no? Is this is announced uh, in part, in part 1120, it says the tribunal decision. And it says accordingly, for the reasons stated above, the tribunal orders the claimant to pay to the respondent the total amount of U.S. $8 million towards the latter's legal costs. And, save as aforesaid, the tribunal rejects all other claims for legal and arbitration costs made by the parties. Well, this is part of the decision, no? The decision that the claimant should pay $8 million back to El Salvador. Um... But there's no, I mean, so the the two the two hundred some pages that precede that final decision, uh, it's just kind of the laying out of the case or the arguments that have been made, or there's no sort yeah. of like yes, opinion. Uh, it is very very complex and very technical, and yeah. like, I'm not a lawyer. We have other lawyers working on it, like Marcos Orellana from CL, and the lawyer of El Salvador itself who has. Um, give us his interpretation 
of the whole award. But one of the main reasons <clears throat> or the basis of the decision uh, is that the company did not even own the lands on which it wanted to mine, right? So El, Sal the El Salvador, it was the land public or it was owned by... Some kind of permit was issued for them to use the land. And so the El Salvadoran government was well within their rights to no, revoke that permit if the terms of the permit weren't being honored. But the land they're using is only like 10% of the entire land they, they, they need to, to carry out the mine, the mining activity. Mm. <clears throat> so, so it just comes down to this this little fraction it of comes the down land. To that. But of course it's very important because the, the people of Cabañas defended their lands. They didn't concede their lands to the mining company. If they had right. done so, it would have been more difficult for El Salvador to defend itself. You know what I mean? The company huh. would have had the argument that they already have the, the, the lands to operate and that El Salvador should grant them the license. There was never a license. It's, it's important to say. Oh, okay. okay. There was never a license granted. All they had was the permit to exploration. So they explored and they found uh, gold in more or less a 10% of the land they needed to actually carry out the mining activity. So the so the land with the gold in it, they did not own, is what you're saying. And the people who did own it refused to give it up. Not in its entirety. Right, they, okay. They have changed the name of Pacific Rim to the company El Torogos, which is the name of the national bird of El Salvador. So this company, El Torogos, is in possession of the mine El Dorado, which is just a fraction of the whole area that is needed to carry out the mining operation. They cannot okay. mine with what they have now, for technical reasons, I mean. So the reason, the reason that I'm curious about this is that, right. um, and I don't want to get into counterfactuals here because that doesn't seem too productive, but mm -hmm. if, if, it, if for the tribunal it comes down to this legalistic reason, it, that naturally provokes in me the question, well, so if Pacific Rim, if they had owned all of this land, would the environmental argument not have been enough to justify El Salvador's refusal to grant a permit or a license? What, what they explain is that this uh, issue about the land was enough to decide in favor of El Salvador. Uh -huh. But if this hadn't been the issue, they would have used other arguments for taking the decision in favor of El Salvador. Okay. This is somehow how it's written in the word, that they were going to consider environmental uh, issues, but they didn't need to. That It just boiled down to making the decision with based on the company not owning the lands. Right? Mm -hmm. But not only that, um, we heard from one of the tribunal members, that social action and social active pressure had been decisive for the tribunal to make their decision. Really? Yeah, of course, there is no, this, this is not written anywhere. In fact, it's off the record. Huh. But we can assert that, and, and the lawyer of El Salvador has said it himself, and he would publicly say it, that uh, social action in this case was essential 
and it affected the tribunal's decision. I, I cannot quote again the tribunal member saying this, but we could quote uh, Luis Parada, the lawyer of El Salvador, uh, asserting it. So well, that's, that's kind of heartening, I think. It is heartening. And this is why we are in a very celebratory mood, because we know that on one hand, you have a very technical, legalistic decision. And on the other one, we know that, um, not informally, but in an external way, social action, both in El Salvador, as in Washington, as elsewhere, where there were protests, were essential to raise the profile of the case and to put the case in the spotlight. That is definite. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is, again, heartening for other cases because we want to work on other mining ISDS cases that have been arising everywhere, in particular in the Mesoamerican region. We have a case against Panama. We have a couple of cases against Colombia, cases against Peru. Uh, Guatemala has been threatened. So we know one of the lessons, and heartening lessons we get from this is that social action does have effects. So in the, uh-huh. when, when we first talked, um, one, of the, one of the big points that you mentioned that was, that was uh, new information for me from the article and, and from our conversation was um, how, how low risk this whole thing is for the companies that are, that are filing these suits. Uh, them losing, it really doesn't lose them very much at all. It doesn't really lose them anything at all. Uh, so I wonder, I mean, it doesn't seem like this decision based on that information is really going to deter companies in the future from filing suits, or do you think it might? Um, it might deter them because in the end they they also incur in costs, right? right. Um, so that's one deterrent. They don't want to waste their time on something that's not going to work out for them. Of course, the other one is they don't want to waste their time. Mm-hmm. There are indicators of social uh, hurdles to mining companies. These indicators uh, take into account how much social opposition there is to a mining operation in, a de- or how in, in the term, determined countries. And they take this as a risk. So if a company knows that there's a lot of social aversion to mining in one country, they take, they take that into their calculation of how much this will cost them. No? So it's not only the, it's not only the suit, the suit itself or, the, or the, the tribunal itself, it's also the environment of social unrest that prevents them or deters them from pushing on a mining operation. So it yeah. seems like like what's needed here is um, a social movement that doesn't really—it's not really discrete, uh, like in chronological terms. Something that's just ongoing, an ongoing sort of popular audit of these companies and and what they're planning to do. It is, and that's why it's so important to work, for example, with Canadian uh, organizations that are pushing hard in Canada now with the new presi- the new prime minister, uh, and the new government to increase the level of vigilance of Canadian mining companies abroad. So we're working hard with Mining Watch Canada and with the Council of Canadians 
to make sure that there is more um, control and, and more accountability of mining companies in Canada when they invest abroad, no? <clears throat> but that, let me go back to El Salvador case. Yeah. We have to say that the work is not done despite this triumph in, uh, in the exit. The company still owes $8 million to El Salvador, which is not small amount for a poor country like Salvador, but it also needs to leave. And the company is showing no intention to leave. Mm. Actually, a couple of days ago, we just released uh, an announcement, an advertisement in a whole page in both the main newspapers of El Salvador uh, comparing informal mining and what they call green mining and saying that Oceana Gold <coughs> is a green mining company. So they are announcing that they're not planning to leave. And it's very important that we raise the level of awareness that the company is still there and is planning, it's betting for a change of a governmental position or a change of government in two years in El Salvador. Who knows? Uh, I knock on wood, but if Arena, the right wing party, wins, they might just uh, make a U turn of the government's decisions and allow mining. So the company can wait. The company is betting on staying where they are in this well, holding that they have of land and wait for the, a change of uh, governmental attitude towards them. No, this is certainly good evidence, and is and is and is likely going to. Um end up supporting an, an increase or at least a continuation of activity in regards to social movements in the region um, and also transnationally, which is great. Um, it's, right. it's great that there, that there are movements in Canada that are aware of this and that are working against it and that don't like it. Um, and it, it really does seem that a transnational structure is, is what's needed because this is, a, this is a transnational phenomenon that we're dealing with. I wonder, in terms of, of looking forward and these other cases in Mesoamerica, but also throughout, you know, this Canadian XL pipeline um, in the United States, where where specifically will you be looking um, kind of in the in the coming year, but then on a longer scale um, to sort of see how this is going to play out? I know that a lot of this is kind of difficult to predict. Uh, it's certainly unclear what will happen with TPP now that we have a situation in the United States um, with a candidate who's taken a very strong anti-trade stance. But uh, And then also just with the existing deals that he's now suggesting he'd like to renegotiate, um, I wonder how much these clauses are really going to be a focus of that. I kind of doubt that they will be. But uh, yeah, just kind of where where will you be looking to sort of see how things are going to play out moving forward? <clears throat> well, it's a, it's a good question. I think lots of people that are now looking at what's happening with the TPP and the TTIP and the announced renegotiation of NAFTA that might not happen in the end, uh, we're really repositioning ourselves in terms of the global struggle against free trade agreements and investment treaties and ISDS. I think we have um, 
we're coming back, no? Like retreating a little bit to see, okay, what's next? We need, we really need to know more in detail what's going to happen with trade policy under the new presidency, under the Trump presidency. We, we need to know more in detail, really. But I think the struggle continues always in, in the, at the grassroots levels, as we see the impacts of free trade with mining and other extractive industries. It's important to continue looking at particular cases, like we've done with El Salvador. And when you look into cases, you have to look where is the real uh, community struggle and engage with the communities that are being affected by these cases and also engage with the NGOs in the countries that we're working on. We have to make a very good mapping of, of the, the social struggle and understand the, the dynamics, because as someone who's from another country or, or organizations, I mean, this is transnational work, right? But to do it transnationally, you have to be very careful of the dynamics, both at the local community levels, as well as the national dynamics, and this is something we were very careful with in El Salvador. Um, also, we have to see the involvement of aid agencies, of the churches, and and build a national and a transnational support uh, movement in, in for different cases. No, so this is something that we're going to be working with, and small number of organizations we've been working with in El Salvador to see how we expand our work in other countries. But again, do it, doing it very carefully, and um, and when working on these cases, at the same time, use this as a mirror of what is wrong with free trade agreements and investment treaties, in order to enhance our struggle against these agreements. We believe that the Pacific Rim case, for example, was always a um, a, 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 a very important. Uh, struggle also for the struggle against the TPP here in Washington. When we protested at the World Bank uh, to defend the right of El Salvador to, to water and to a clean environment, at the same time we were protesting against the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And we had all the support of the big organizations like the FLCIO, the Sierra Club and others that were fighting the TPP. They came to our protests to defend the right of El Salvador for clean water and against coal mining. So the challenge is to continue connect, interconnecting all these dots, interconnecting the global struggles with the local struggles and do it in a very careful, again, very careful way in order not to create divisions, competition, but on the contrary, enhance the articulation of social movements. Countries never win with the exit cases. Mm -hmm. They only not lose. But despite of that, this has been a victory for the people of El Salvador, for their struggle, and for the way that international, transnational organizations, social organizations, have been able to support them. Well, Manuel, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. That was Manuel Perez Rocha. We posted a statement about the Pacific Rim decision that Manuel wrote with his colleagues at the Institute for Policy Studies, so be sure to check that out at NACLA.org, where you can also find fresh coverage of issues affecting Latin America and the world today, and subscribe to our print magazine, The NACLA Report. 
Be sure to like us at facebook.com slash NACLA and follow us on Twitter at NACLA, that's N-A-C-L-A. Stay tuned over the next couple weeks for two interviews with contributors to the latest NACLA report, which explores the recent return of right-wing politics in Latin America and around the world. NACLA Radio is produced by me. Our web editor is Laura Weiss, and our music is by Radio Jarocho. Coco,